0: guys welcome to the church split my name is will and we got brian with us as per the usual so guys if you haven't already like and subscribe to the church split but you guys know what we do here we help you escape your church's echo chamber help you learn to think biblically and of course challenge the status quo and hopefully learn a few things with a little bit of snark on the side a little bit not too much though i'd hate to be considered uh too arrogant or pious <laughs> too late <laughs> as i get accused of that every day but it's okay because we actually have a lot of fun here but guys today we are starting our new direction fully and entirely now in the last episode what i want to do is want to read what Brian and i are our focus and our goal here now is to move forward with apologetics and theology but we also want to give you guys a little bit of a shout out because some of you guys engage really well in our comment section on YouTube. So from our previous episode with Make uh, make Missionaries Theologians Again, it didn't get a lot of love on YouTube. And I think it's because of the, the Facebook crash and all this. We,
1: we broke Facebook when we released the episode.
0: <laughs> we literally released it in the middle of the... Like, <laughs> right when the crash started, we basically released the episode. Oops. <laughs> so what I want we want to do is we want to actually start reading uh, our favorite comment from yeah. the episode before. Yep. And so it's really hard because some of you guys have really great comments. But... Luckily, Dana, you got, you brought up, I hope it's Dana. I think I'm saying that right. But, so Dana, she said this about uh, Vincent. What a crazy list of questions for missionaries to answer. How silly to drop support of what amounts to personal opinions. It all comes back to keeping the main thing the main thing the harvest is plenteous but the laborers are few i've heard pastors comment on how numbers of missionaries are declining it's no wonder jumping through man's hoops in order to spread the gospel and serve god is not how it's supposed to work and you're absolutely right Bingo. Um, you are not supposed to jump through man's hoops to be able to serve god in fact it should be the other way around so um support your missionaries be courteous of your missionaries and uh, go check out that episode with Vincent, because actually I thought he's going to Restricted Country. We can't say his last name, but I really thought uh, that episode was fantastic. It's actually one of my favorite episodes I've done in a long time. The and one where that, I wasn't there? The one where you weren't there.
1: Reading between the lines.
0: I'm just saying, man.
1: <laughs> it was pretty good. It was really good. It was, it
0: was great, yeah. Uh, we're trying to figure out a way to accommodate three people in this uh, <laughs> In this studio. we might have to buy a second camera. I don't know what we're going to do. Oh, great. A second camera. So if we have to buy a second camera, please support us on Patreon. (laughs) Because that thing's expensive. Yes. (laughs) We saved for a year and a half to get the one we have now. So Exactly. So, all right, guys. Today, we are jumping into... So Brian and I, we want to talk about some of our pet topics. And what are are some of our favorite topics, Brian?
1: Oh, um, well, creationism is one. Um, Original sin... Total depravity, um, I don't know, we have several of them.
0: Calvinism being one of Cal- your favorites. Yeah, I was just
1: trying to dance around it, but yes, Calvinism we'll is one of it. my it's favorite okay. ones.
0: I think Talk everyone about. in the RFP network that we're associated with knows that we're not Calvinist. In fact, we are going to have a roundtable discussion sometime with Nathan Cravat with RFP and Dr. Stephen Boyce, who are both reformed in their doctrine, and we're going to have a roundtable and just discuss our various views and have a fun conversation. It's not going to be a debate um, I know some people want to see us uh, go to war, but
1: we don't need to go to war with people that that we're brothers in Christ with. I, I have so many friends that are Calvinists. I don't have a problem with Calvinists. I just disagree with some of their conclusions from Scripture, and I think they have, I think they have a pretty consistent view of it. I think so do we, and it's kind of fun to talk about the differences.
0: Yeah, I think there is is I, I would I always say that there's is internally consistent within itself but I don't think it's externally consistent under scrutiny um, but I know they disagree with me on that so that's okay but we are not talking about that today we are do, going jumping into our favorite well I'm not sure if it's your favorite it's my absolute favorite area of scripture to talk about, which is the very fir- very beginning in Genesis. And it's funny because most people love Genesis because uh, who are Christians and who are conservative because they like creationism, Ken Ham and the Ark Encounter and all that. That's not why I love it. In fact, I, I think I've been, I, in our previous episode where I talked about the different views of creation, I made very clear, I don't care about the age of the earth or anything like that. I just, I just don't. And I know that's some people's pet, pet, pet topics, this is not mine. I like the metaphysical and the, uh, the theology in the very beginning of Genesis. I think yeah. there's a lot of fascinating things that happen there.
1: Well, I am, by its nature of being the first book, it lays the framework for all of the rest of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And I think if you don't have a good understanding of Genesis, you really can't understand the rest of the Bible. You certainly can't understand the New Testament, Um, But you most definitely can't understand most of the Old Testament either if you don't understand where we came from, who created it, who's in control, how humanity fell, all those things. It depends on Genesis. So we're going to go through that.
0: Yeah, exactly. So this is us going to theology and apologetics, um, primarily a theological bent, although today we are talking about a, a major apologetic argument for God's existence. Now, when we say apologetics, it's been a long time since we've discussed apologetics more directly. Yeah. Remember, apologetics is, does not mean you're apologizing for your faith. <laughs> apologetics is from the Greek word apologia, meaning to make a defense for. So I'm defending the faith, as First Peter three fifteen tells us to do. To yeah. be prepared to make a defense, right? So we're going to go through Genesis one today, and we're just going to talk about it. We're gonna, I'm going to get into the Hebrew a little bit here, uh, the Hebrew roots and the idea. I would highly recommend you guys checking out uh, Jeremiah, a friend of mine, Jeremy Williams. He recommended Torah Class to me. Uh, check it out on Apple Podcasts. It is there. But guys, I'm going to go through right here the entire—I'm uh, going to go through some of the Hebrew ideas here, some of the ancient ideas before Christianity separated fully from Judaism, because I think that's a big issue when it comes to—seriously, I, I, you talk to most Christians. I'll say, well, the Jude- Jewish view was always this— and they will go. Well, the Jews didn't believe Jesus was Messiah. Well, the uh, Jewish apostles did. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, well, the apostles were Jewish. the The early church was really a bunch of Jews that was that started working toward the Gentiles in many ways. Jesus had a bunch of followers that were Jewish. Now, all the people in the Sanhedrin and a lot of people in power were not Jewish. are not. Did not. What, what am I saying? We're oh, not gosh. Christ followers. But the idea here is that it is highly Jewish and. I want, And I think if we discount Jewish theologians as well, we are greatly putting ourselves at risk. Because remember, when we've talked about King James onlyism, what does that do? It questions the historicity of Scripture. Well, if you question anything that a Jewish rabbi says just because he's Jewish or from the ancient Jewish world, you're doing the same thing. You're questioning yeah. the historicity of theology.
1: Well, I think we all want to have the Bible in context. So I don't know why anyone would want to deny having more context for the Old Testament and understanding what the Jewish perspective was because that is going to put it in the historical context, it's going to put it in the cultural context. I think we want to know that because yeah. that will help us understand the truth maximally. So I don't think anyone should shy away from knowing the most context about the Bible. I think everyone watching probably agrees with that. Whether you are wanting to understand Jewish culture more or not, I think it's a key to understanding the entire bit of scripture and i think it also helps unlock a lot of the prophecies that prove that jesus is the
0: messiah correct so um and again check out my friends also at alternate media they're uh messianic in their faith so they're ba- they're basically jewish in their faith uh while following jesus christ um and i think that they have some helpful insights for you you might not agree with everything but it's a fun little thing to they're also really cool guys so they're just really neat yeah, yeah. i really like them they're they're good they're good people we'll keep them and poor Seamus had his hand crushed recently. Did you see that? By the no. way, Seamus at Alternate Media literally had his hand crushed, like at work, and he has pins in it and everything. Oh, it's man. nuts. And he's been doing like different videos of updates, and I just cringe the entire time. Like, no, no, why? <laughs> Teach me. Uh, Get in bar fights. Yeah, <laughs> he is. He is Irish. Okay, that's a racist <laughs> joke when you're bringing a bar <laughs> fight to an Irishman. Um, all right, guys. So let's go ahead and just we're gonna go into through this into uh, through the beginning. So. The first paragraph in Genesis, now, if you're reading through like a King James or something, you don't see paragraph breaks. You just see one verse after another verse after another verse. But paragraph breaks are super helpful to understand when is the next thought. Is this related to up here? Is it not related? Is it a separate thought? So the first paragraph of Genesis 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. This confuses a lot of people. Uh, they read it like, wait, what? But the, nothing was created. And how is it for, without form and void? Because those Hebrew words are indicating something. Mm-hmm. But usually in a negative context, uh, the Hebrew words there for void and darkness are usually like in a very Hebraic negative connotation. So it's like, what does this even mean? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, but then it was without form and okay, so this negative view. This is kind of the idea of chaos. Okay. It was without structure. It was without form. And then uh, the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, the word God here, I think, is important that we flesh out a little bit. Oh, yeah, it's Elohim. Yeah, it's Elohim, and Elohim is literally meaning God as a title. So a lot of people like be like, well, you know, when they think of the phrase, oh, my God, they think, oh, my gosh, you just took the Lord's name in vain. This is a title This actually is not necessarily always referring to God mm-hmm. uh, as we know him, as like as Hashem or, or Yahweh, whatever you want to refer to. This is also, it's a, so it's in a masculine and it's in a plural sense. So that's interesting because it's plural. This is where Christians will oftentimes be like, see, this is kind of pointing to the Trinity. Mm-hmm. Um, the Jews believe this was like a royal we, like a royal council kind of idea. But um, I think it makes sense that it's a royal council within the Trinity. So
1: Yeah, I, I think we agree. Just you didn't get <laughs> quite there all the way.
0: <laughs> so um, then when it says here that Elohim, uh, that means the self-existent one as well. But Elohim is also used uh, to refer to pagan gods, and it's also referred to God himself. So that's why I say it's a title of being. So that's what, one of the controversial things that a lot of people don't th- think of, is there's a reason why the Bible talks so much about otherworldly spirits, it talks about other uh, other gods that are false, because there is a spiritual dimension. So God could be a phrase used for any other powerful spiritual being. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah. So uh, I, I think it's an interesting thing that we should keep in mind when we're dealing with things, because the idea of taking the Lord's name in vain is not, oh my God, irreverently. It's the idea of taking his name with you, proclaiming his name while not living it. Yeah which is actually way harder to live up to.
1: I think it's good to also understand the context of when Moses is penning this down, right? The context in the culture that he's in is he's not running to atheists. He's not running to people that are unbelievers. He's running to people that don't believe in the I am, the true God. They believe other gods. You have the Egyptians who believe that, you know, all these other sun gods and everything else are creating, created the earth. And he's making the point here that it's God. God, we have right at the beginning, in the beginning, God created. And I think that's, I think if everything else, if we just ignore here, we can focus on the fact that it all stems from God. And it all stems from um, the the creative force of his spirit, which is listed also here in verse 2. So I think it's good to look at this as not necessarily always an argument against atheists, because that's not the, the context in which Moses was writing this. He's talking about the, the God, the God of the Hebrews, the God of Moses. That was the one that created everything.
0: Yes. So when we're dealing with this, uh, you know, he's, refer- he's talking to pagans and polytheists, mm-hmm. because atheism wasn't a thing really in the ancient world. Think of one ancient culture that was atheist. I'll wait. <laughs> they all believed in spirits. They all believed in, in otherworldly dimensions. And some people think it's because, well, they're just ignorant. They couldn't explain things. I don't think so. Then explain how they made the pyramids. Explain that,
1: <laughs> Brian. Brian, are you getting sassy right now? I'm already going to get sassy. Look, explain how they made the pyramids. We can't figure it out. Okay? They were not dumb and stupid. They they were pretty smart, and they were smart enough to not be atheists. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Throwing shit already, I like it. I know it's true because seriously, I don't understand. I'll be honest. Uh, I there I have, I have atheist friends. Um, I just honestly do not understand how you can land there so adamantly. It's just like I, I don't know how you get there because I think that a lot of things get into it. So right here in the beginning. So at the very beginning of all things, this is important because to understand how to defend your faith, you need to understand one of the biggest cruxes to the faith, which is causation. So we need to understand that God operates in what we would call the fifth dimension, a fifth dimensional field. We operate in like a fourth, a four dimensional field. All right. We have up and down, left and right, back and forth. Right. So we have, you know, there's depth, there's height, width. It, he's, but God is outside of those things. If God is outside of those things, that means he's operating on some sort of weird fifth dimensional field that we have no connection to. So when we go, oh, I want to try to understand God fully, you're not going to because you're limited within the dimensional space that God created and he is outside of it. Mm -hmm. So this isn't an appeal to mystery. This isn't a special pleading thing like a lot of atheists will say that you're doing. It's just a mere understanding of what theology is here because he's outside of time, space and matter. It's like
1: a video game character trying to understand who Bill Gates is. It's just, it's outside of the realm in which
0: it exists. <laughs> That's one way to put it. Um, but God's outside of time, space, and matter. So we live in, within time, space, and matter. And time, space, and matter is a continuum, right? It's what they call a continuum. They all rely on each other to continue. So you have, with, if without time, you want to have when you exist. Without matter, you want to have what you exist and without um, space, you want to have where, right? So yeah. you have when, where, and what. So you need all of them to exist. And you, see, those and
1: you see the description of all of these in the first two verses here. You have in the beginning, that's time. That's the beginning of time. Yep. You have heaven and earth. Okay, well, earth is matter and heaven is space. So now you have three different, you have the three parts of that all together right at the beginning. Right. So it makes sense. It, that's actually very consistent with science.
0: Exactly. So, and this is in the beginning. Now, there's a period of time here just labeled in the beginning. Okay. When time began. So there's a period of time where that in the beginning, this part is not considered uh, probably day one. Okay. This is just referring to in the beginning God. So it's okay. We get it. Now, granted, I don't think it's absurd to think that God created heavens and the earth and all that flows into paragraph two within day one. In fact, yeah. I'm a literalist, so I kind of like that flow. Um, I do like that flow. <laughs> it just makes sense. God created heavens and the earth, and the earth was all form void. And then he gets into what he says in verse three, where he says, Let there be light. That makes sense.
1: Yeah, and, and, but it doesn't specify necessarily what is happening. In the beginning, we have heaven and earth. And then day one, we have, you know, we're talking about actual light and everything else, right? So we're talking about, you know, what am I trying to say? Exactly, you can have disagreement here and still have unity. There's Correct. different ways to look at verses one through three, especially verses one and two, and not and not come to a specific conclusion. There's multiple different ways you can look at Right,
0: which is why, again, I know people might say we're too ecumenical, but I do believe that there is unity here. The point is, no matter what your theological view is, God created. Okay? That's the point. That mm-hmm. God created. But I do believe that a literal approach here is helpful, uh, and especially when you pull into from Exodus. Do so you have that verse handy that you, that you like oh, to yeah. go from?
1: This is my favorite
0: trump card for gap theory. Um, or day-age theory. Day-age theory is the one yes. that I hate the most, I think.
1: Yeah. Both of those, I think, kind of get trumped by this. So Exodus twenty eight through 11. And it's talking about the Sabbath, So which I... I think helps kind of round out this too, because the Sabbath is all about resting just like God rested. So remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or livestock or sojourner who is with you within the gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Um, and this is the troll way. I like to read this when someone is talking <laughs> about how days mean ages and you can disagree with me. That's fine. I I fully admit this is a little bit trolly, but I just want you to think about this in the context, read this verse now. And if you say it's ages, it's millions of years, then this is how you read essentially this paragraph for in six Millions of years' days the Lord made the heaven and earth and sea and all that was in them, and rested on the seventh millions of years' day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath millions of years' day and made it holy. And then if we kind of go back to the beginning of this paragraph, six millions of years' days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh millions of years' day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. I don't know what day we're in. Am I? Are we in the day of rest? I mean, it kind of feels like with everyone not working right now, but... <laughs> And a COVID joke. (laughs) It's coming all today, guys. But I just wanted to think about that. If that is what you believe, how do you read that verse? How do you read it? And to me, it also kind of debunks the, the gap theory just because it says in six days...
0: Uh, the gap theory is uh, would uh, would oftentimes say just to be sympathetic to my gap theory people. The gap theory would, would <laughs> we're not sympathetic to nothing. We're <laughs> yeah, not sympathetic tonight. Um, but you know, that's, they would refer to the fact that the without without form and void is referring to pre existing material. That's the gap. Uh, the, well, the heavens and the earth is referring to what he created after. But I do think that's a good point when we're bringing in the literalism, and it's like especially if you take it for what it says. Mm-hmm. Seems to be pretty straightforward. Now, also, it's it, this is an interesting thing to note. Um, so, my friends at Alternate Media, we oftentimes on a Friday night we will text each other Shabbat Shalom, which you know is basically peace to you this Sabbath, essentially, right? So it's Happy Sabbath or peace to you the Sabbath, however you want to work on word it. So that and it's because actually the night when the sun goes down was considered the next day. It was the beginning of your next day which makes sense, right? Like Mm -hmm. my day was until the sun went down. Well, my day ended when the sun went down. Therefore, now the new day begins. So it is also important to note here, notice how in verse three it says, and God said, let there be light. And there was night and God saw the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness. He called night. And there was evening. That's interesting. There was evening and there was morning the first day. Why well, that's backwards. That's I know, and, our, and I'm not saying it's a sin to keep like the Greek calendar. I'm just saying, actually, if you understand the Hebrew calendar, it makes the Bible make a lot more sense. Um. Also, again, guys, a day here is not an age. It's not an age. It's uh. An, it's an actual day. That's what it's re- referring to here. It's an actual day in the Hebrew. It's re- literally referring to a day. Okay. So this whole day age theory, I think you're you're stretching the text a lot to get there. I think act, actually the gap theory makes more sense if you believe in an old Earth. I think gap theory is way stretching it. Um, like you might be able to find some like creative workarounds or whatever, or you might be able to get really finicky with the text, be able to make gap theory work. But I honestly do not know how you can make day age theory work. I've studied it; and it just seems to be very dishonest. If that makes sense. It yeah. literally feels like now at this point you're pandering to one side again. Oh, so we should, didn't mention this at the beginning, like we should have, we're talking about our, our own views here. Yes, we are. And we, we've, we've kind of outlined a lot
1: of different, like this is how people believe different views on this subject to try to bring unity. Now we're going di- to dive in a little bit to what we believe, which is going to be, we have to defend our own beliefs instead of just giving the, the overall general view of it. So, We realize we're putting ourselves out there, but if you've been listening to the channel at all and realize that we're talking about having unity and diversity of thought, if you disagree with us, cool,
0: high five. Yeah,
1: Bring the Bible. We want to listen to what you have to say.
0: Yeah, and welcome to diversity of thought. You're allowed to disagree with us. That's the Mm -hmm. point of diversity of thought. So um, we just have, we're the hosts, so we talk about our views. (laughs) Sorry, yours aren't represented at all the time, but it is what it is. We're stuck with our views, and now so are you. Here we are, or you just turn off. It's fine. (laughs) Um, So the other thing is, is that their days weren't. This is the thing we seem to get mixed up too, because when people talk about all the years Adam lived and all the years, always people like, "Oh, is that even physically possible?" Okay, we could talk about different theories, or we could also understand that their days back then were different than our days now. One, they started at evening. Okay. Also, if you rewind time, and we know because of. how – energy levels change and have changed and shifted things may have gone faster back then as far as uh, if you, you know, uh, on a solar system right so if you think about that even things are probably running a little bit faster so one day it was probably not a standard 24-hour period in their eyes so um you, you just you decide i disagree but <laughs> i'm just saying that things over time if you go with that system you rewind it doesn't necessarily mean that it's 936 years. I'm not saying that it's not. I'm just saying that this is my, me being an apologist right now, and I know it probably bothers
1: you. Yeah, you're putting on a different pair of
0: pants for philosophy. I get it. Yes, So, but my point is here, even if you're like, that's impossible. No one could ever live that long. There's no way I could believe the Bible says that. My point here, guys, is the fact that you might just be misunderstanding how the text is working. Or you could be like uh, Dr. Uh, Michael Jones at Inspiring Philosophy, who believes those numbers actually have a theological connection. I actually, personally, don't yell at me. I actually believe they lived that long. I believe they lived very, very long lives.
1: It makes sense. I mean, this is these are people that God literally created by His hand. You think they'd be, you know, pretty free from disease and all the other things that tend to take us out early. And I think just being closer to the original source, I think that they were just better created they were. they had less yeah, of the think over time, decay that we've had over ent- time yeah,
0: exactly i think the end law of entropy would mean that over time we've gotten to where we are now mm-hmm. right like it started up here here and it slowly rolled downhill i'm not saying you have to agree with me i'm just saying that these are things that make sense to me um so and then when we get into this further um we well actually how about you go ahead and read the verses verse three start from there so read that paragraph. all
1: right so you want three through five here Three through four or whatever, yeah. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day.
0: Now, one of the interesting things here, so right there, first day. One of the interesting things here is the word light um, would be haor, or just or, okay? That's the root word, or. Or... This means this. uh, So a lot of people get really confused because here we see God creates light, and then in verse like what fourteen we see God creates sun, moon, and stars. You're like, wait, hold on. How did God create light and then sun, moon, and stars? Sun, moon, and stars are literally light. How does that even work? So what we need to understand is that haor or just or in this instance is not just referring to light physically. It's not just referring to light rays. In the Hebrew, this actually has a spiritual and metaphysical connotation to it as well. So it's not a either or. This is a both and. And yeah. Hebrew logic a lot of times has a both and connotation. Okay. Now think about John one one. In the beginning, very similar to Genesis, there right in the mm-hmm. beginning God created. Well, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You no, know, the Jews always believe that the Torah. Uh, which is the first five books of the Bible, the Torah was God Mm -hmm. made word. Well, then in the beginning, God created the heavens. So right here in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And then of course we know that the word became flesh. So this idea here, that's the word there in the Greek is logos, which means logic. Well, or means enlightenment as well. Enlightenment, understanding. It has this whole idea. Um, That God is light. It's the word meaning life, joy, and good, which is really cool. When Mm -hmm. you realize this, oh, God created light. That's awesome. So it's like, okay, not only did he create light, like as in light rays that stem forth from his being to illuminate the universe, but this is also when Logos was created. Logic, order, structure, life, love, and joy, all this. Then he separated the light from the darkness. So the Hebrew word here for darkness is choshek, which means not just darkness, but it's used metaphorically with a negative and spiritual connotation, meaning falseness or blindness as well. So, what this is referring to in the Hebrew, when God created light at the very beginning, let there be light. Also, notice he wasn't like, I, you know, ask that this come forth, like all the other ones. This is different. Let there be light light this is saying let there be order structure enlightenment let me separate that from darkness because anything opposite of god's actual being is darkness Mm -hmm. physically metaphysically all of those things together make up darkness in the hebrew i think it's just cool to show god's creative power like you said he just speaks it
1: oh yeah absolutely He's not spending effort on it it's literally he speaks it into existence into the universe, and that's pretty cool. That's that's a God I want to worship.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's something that's interesting. I think that helped answer a lot of questions for me when I'd read it. I'm like, but that doesn't really make sense. Well, it makes sense that God would first, at the very first creative order, he had to create an ontology, right? A structure to the universe. Well, what is that? Well, I have to create light and darkness because nothing can survive and live forever in darkness, right? Mm -hmm. Like, life comes from light, and that's very that's very simple like and it's of course that makes sense the light and life go together including enlightenment
1: well until the advent of these guys right the watches literally the movement of the stars and the sun was how we we kept track of time so to me i see this also as god literally setting forth the metric of time right he's now set the bounds of the day with evening and morning so now we've we've set that time Um, and then he establishes later, was it day four, where he establishes the actual sun and moon to actually help keep that order of the seasons. So to me, it seems like, okay, he first established it just with his light, and then he adds these objects to keep that time going forward.
0: Correct. And then to move forward, it says, And God said... Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let us separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And this is actually really fascinating in general, but I want you guys to know, so there's so when you mentioned like how God created, so of course, later on, We actually see that God creates not only his being with ore for light, but also um, the word light that comes in verse 14 here in a minute. Actually, let's just read ahead and we'll get there. Uh, Verse 9, and God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit, trees bearing the fruit in which in is their seed and according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds and trees bearing fruit and with their seed each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and that was there was evening and there was morning the third day. Actually, real quick. Notice how it says always according to their own kind. Mm-hmm. So, and I know I have a lot of friends that are theistic evolutionists, and I'm not saying that you don't have an interpretation that you can use in Genesis for this, right? Um, of course, there's a lot of things come down to interpretation. But I do believe, to be honest with the text, we have to understand that this says to its kind and its kind and its kind. This is literally reflecting, it is reflecting the haor from the very beginning, this creative order and structure. Mm-hmm. This kind with that kind and that kind with that kind
1: yeah we saw in genesis 1 2 right we essentially see chaos and now god is forming that chaos into order through these six days and it's not through it doesn't appear to me at least through evolution through one plant turn into many plants it's they're literally sprouting out of the ground as new as plants all together at once
0: right and it's to and each one according to its own kind which would mean that it's not coming from a fruit tree. It's not creating a vegetable, Mm -hmm. right? So this would be an intelligent. Yes, I am an intelligent design person personally. I believe in intelligent design. I don't, I'm not a theistic evolutionist. Um, Now, there are people like C.S. Lewis who are more sympathetic to theistic evolution. Um, And C.S. Lewis was amazing. Like, I'm not going to knock somebody for that. So, but then what I want to talk about here is verse 14 because this goes back into the idea of light. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse on the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth, and it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. So if we see that one means kind of this has a connotation of illumination and enlightenment, meaning like ontology, then when we come here, it's actually really interesting because the Hebrew word now for light has shifted to marot. Um, Marot means is actually where we get the word meteor from it means an object that produces light mm-hmm. so these are actually this is a linguistic shift done purposefully by the authors yeah and i think that's really important for us to understand because i mean english is can we just be honest english english is a very bare bones kind of language it doesn't have the, when you get into hebrew hebrew has depth man one word has a stretch of meanings it is really cool because that's why um, the ancient rabbis believed that there was more than one way to interpret scripture, and not all of it was wrong. Mm-hmm. You have a literal, you have a metaphysical. Because, and then think about it. We see this in the book of Hebrews, don't we, with the tabernacle and stuff? Oh yeah. You talk through it. Mm-hmm. So what? What is often? What's oftentimes a theme there? Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's comparing when it's talking about
1: the, the 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 city on earth is is reflective of the real true city in heaven and temple and everything else we just we see what's on earth is essentially just like mirror poor images of what god has actually created in heaven uh,
0: the rook of hebrews actually refers to it as a shadow Mm -hmm. this is a shadow of the things to come this is a shadow of the temple in heaven things like that which is like oh wow that's really interesting a shadow well what is a shadow well when i stand in the light i am the source of my shadow the shadow is me but it's not me, mm-hmm. right? It's a poor interpretation, a poor representation. So I think that's really interesting um, uh, with a lot of that. So anyway, the point is here, I think, because when we're going through cre- this creation account, we have to understand that this is God's perfect order. Right? Notice how everything he says he says is good. It is good. Everything that flows from God is that which is good. hmm so that means God cannot logically flow evil. Remember, He separated the light from the darkness. So when you think about this, and He's the Logos, this is one of those things that I think punches a hole into through uh, theology of our Calvinist brothers and sisters. Yeah. Because they a lot of times will say God wills evil, um, or He decreed it is the word they'll use. Yeah, they like the word decree. Decree simply <laughs> means a royal command. When you use the word decree, you're saying God ordered or God decreed the fall, which means he technically would become the source or the person who is responsible for the evil. But here we see that everything that flows from him is good. Yeah, he's
1: decreeing all these things. We're reading it, and everything is decreed as good. Right. You don't see him decreeing
0: anything as, oh, that was evil. And why would he ever decree something evil if he separated the light from the darkness and he is the light? Mm -hmm. He is the light of life. Or as uh, Jesus said, no man shall live by bread alone. Right? So that is all referring to an idea of enlightenment from God. Yeah. So I do believe that this is something that's like, well, I would have to hear a Calvinist argument that approaches and deals with this specifically, and I just haven't seen one. They will say that God's not responsible for it, even though he decreed it, and that man is responsible for his own choices while denying man his choice in the matter. Which means that God would have to be logically that, and then what happens is a lot of times it gets chalked up to mystery. Now, because we are getting into theology, we are getting into our own personal views. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of friends in the RFP network, there's a lot of friends I know personally that are Calvinist. Yeah. But it doesn't mean we're not going to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, and, and we welcome your comments. And I guess, to be
1: fair, too, there are Calvinists that don't believe that God decrees evil as well. It, to be fair... Depend on which Calvinist you're talking to, they might say that they agree with that or they might not. Now who's
0: being the apologist? <laughs> so
1: I just, I talk about it a lot online. So I know how a lot of times I will, I will make a characterization of Calvinism and they'll say, well, that's not what I believe. I'm like, okay, well, but that Calvinist does. So I guess I'm not talking to you. I'm talk I'm not describing your specific version of Calvinism. And that's fine. There's different versions of it. There's, there's a, there's a lot of Calvinists that don't agree with John Calvin. So
0: Actually, most Calvinists nowadays disagree with John Kelvin. I think John Kelvin would actually be kind of. It's weird because, actually, if you read John Kelvin's writings, you'll actually. This is a whole different rabbit trail. But if you read John Kelvin's writings, he was not nearly as Calvinist as Calvinists today. And also, he was contradictory as crap, man. That guy was all over the place. Like, I mean, when you'd read one part, he'd literally contradict himself in another area. And Augustine did similar things.
1: And we should expect that in man, right? That's the wonderful thing that we have. The Word of God is at least the Word of God is not contradictory, but pick any theologian, you're going to find some contradiction that they said at some point.
0: Except for me, because I'm a consistent theologian. <laughs> <laughs> and contradiction. <laughs> <laughs> point in case. Um, anyway. I wanted to mention something real quick here, too, oh, about, yeah,
1: right. um, about the light. So you see here the purpose of, of these, these luminaries is to shine on the earth. You see that God's put in there to keep time right? He's, he's setting forth the seasons. Um, and it says it's even marking the, the days and in the, in the, the seasons um, and the years. But so when you talk to someone who's an old earth creationist, they're going to be like, look, we do parallax measurements. I'm pretty sure that's the word. I didn't prepare for this part. But we do these measurements where we essentially take these two angular measurements of a star. And the farthest one we found away was 18 million years or 18 billion years. So therefore, the universe must be 18 billion years old. But we see here, the, the purpose of these luminaries was to shine on the earth, not shine on the earth 17.99999 billion years later. It was then, and it was good. So I think we can, as we see, even the vegetation just being pop up right out of the ground, and it's there as full-grown trees. Um, and I think we can assume that when God's talking to Adam, he's not talking to an infant. Um, then (laughs) I think we can see that God can create fully mature things as part of his creative process. And we see that the purpose of this, of the the stars and the sun and the moon is to shine on the earth. I think we can assume that that light was
0: there originally. Actually, that's a great point. I'm glad you brought that up because seriously, God created Adam and Eve. And it's always been understood historically that Adam and Eve were in fact fully grown adults, right? They were not children. They were fully grown and fully mature. Same with the idea of all the forests and the animals. There's mature, fully grown creatures. So why is it that we suddenly make a new rule when it comes to what has to be billions of years because how far away the these stars are, when why can he have created them with the light fully mature? Because they were made for the purpose of keeping time.
1: And the best argument I've ever heard against this is while well, we when we look at the, the angle of the light, it just there's no way God could possibly create that light to be exactly like that. It's like, oh, god can't do that you're saying god can't create the light that he made (laughs) and you're saying that you have evidence somehow in this weird pseudoscience way that you say well it clearly couldn't have created the light source and the light emitting from it are you kidding me right now that that isn't that isn't a great argument i'm sorry if you believe that just not it's not a very it's not compelling convincing argument it's not
0: compelling at all i mean um especially because even if it did have to travel that far to get to earth anyway and you do take the multi-billion year approach well if you take that multi-billion year approach that light still had to reach us which means i i feel like that argument kind of falls on itself to some degree or other
1: i want you to picture for a second moses writing this down and he's writing about stars of which he cannot see yet <laughs> what is he talking about if you're saying that well they gotta it's gotta be millions of years well, okay well they're not the light hasn't hit yet He's looking at the sky going, Well, there's a the sun and the moon. And a my, couple, I think there's stars. A couple
0: <laughs> specks in the sky. <laughs>
1: oh, Just picture funny. that.
0: That's funny. Uh, so verse uh, 20 says, And God said, Let the waters swarm uh, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged creature according to ooh, its kind. And God saw that it was good, and God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply in the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, and there was, Whoa, the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth and according to their kinds. And it was so. God made the beasts of the earth and according to their kinds and the livestock according to their uh, to their kinds and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, and this is really important. This is one, probably the most important parts in scripture. So we have a lot, that's a chunk of text. But one of the things I want, when people refer to sometimes as Genesis as poetry, I want you guys to understand that it is Hebraic poetry. It is. We don't see it in English because it just seems like, okay, he created this, he created that. It almost feels redundant in English. Mm-hmm. But what's happening, if you take three days, so you take the light that was created, three days later, boom, sun, moon, and stars. You have the objects of that creation. Mm-hmm. Then you have water. Three days later, boom, boom, boom. What do you have? The creatures in that water. Then you have the earth and the sky. Three days later, guess what? The creatures that reside those areas too. What it is, is is a parallelism in Hebrew. Hebrew works, Hebrew's poetry worked in parallelisms, a constant comparison, which is why if you go into Psalms, there's a lot of comparison, like phraseology. That's what it is. That's not to say it's not true. It just means it's poetic. Now, a lot of people think poetry instantly means allegory. And I can understand where you might come from on that. Yeah, don't get instantly defensive
1: when you hear that. Right, that doesn't mean it's not true.
0: Right, so it's funny because red flags go up on both sides. When I start re- re- reading this as literal, and you're going, "Well, it says here in the six days," and someone go, "You know, their red flag goes up." Oh, po- Hebrew poetry! They mm-hmm. get all upset. But then when we go, "Well, guys, it's poetry," and then you have the literalists going, "No, it's got to be literal, guys. It can be both. It can yeah. be literally. It can be literal poetry." <laughs>
1: Well, and one of the theories I have about the poetry is, you know, this is an oral tradition passed down before Moses writes it down. And what's really, what makes things easy to memorize? Poetry, said in a way that is, is in a construct that's easy to, to replicate because you have different keys in your mind that go, oh, that's right, light, and then four days later, light. Water, four days later, water. It makes, it makes sense. Right. So it could be a, a memorization technique just to how it was it was written down in that poetry form. Right,
0: and exactly. And that's the man side of in, of the inspiration of Scripture. And mm-hmm. many people want to rip man out of the inspiration of Scripture. It gets really frustrating um, because it is 100% of God and 100% of man. It is it is it is a very complex thing. We could talk about the theory of inspiration at some point on the program. That'd be fun.
1: Yeah, I'd love to go down and deep into that one.
0: But a couple things here. So one... We have one of the most important passages ever in scripture, which is the Imago Dei, which mm-hmm. is God created man in his own image, which means God is what? He's a creator. He is loving. He is kind. He's benevolent. We are creating that image. We are a mirror imaging of that, which is why our nature and his law in Romans 1 it says his law is written on our hearts. Mm-hmm. And that was promised as well in the new covenant. This right here, guys, we're created in his image. Which is this is where we get a value statement for mankind, right? We're not yeah. just one of the other creatures.
1: Yeah, because
0: none of the other creatures are, are have that that written down. Exactly. It's only man that is created in the image of God. Right. So, okay, well, if I'm created in the image of God, and God saw this earth and thought thought and needed me in it, that gives me value and purpose. Mm-hmm. Being a, just another animal, that's a space accident where the the universe just happened to create life, and now you're, congratulations, you're self existing, self aware space goo. That doesn't give you purpose. You can say I have objective purpose because my objective is to live a happy life. That doesn't make it objectively true for everyone. That just makes it true for you.
1: And if and if you're, uh, you know, a evolutionist, what at what point did it become the image of God? Right? Like how ape man was it before that was like that's the line, right? And, and to be fair, that's all been debunked when you look at it from a probability and the distance between the discovery of apes and man. But anyways, it wasn't possible. But even so, where is that line? It says here in the text that you say is inspired that man was, was creating God's image. Not an ape, not a monkey, not an ape monkey man, whatever. it. That doesn't exist here in the text.
0: Right. And then the other thing, too, so as we go through this, so this is where I want to talk about the Kalam for a minute. Okay? Let's do it. So the Kalam cosmological argument is what it's called. It's an apologetic or an argument for God's existence. So if you're not familiar with the Kalam, we actually I actually preached a sermon on it too. Uh, I, I had an atheist friend be like, "Well, I was kind of expecting more substance because you didn't really address any of these issues. I'm like, I was talking to a Christian audience, man. I'm only going to talk to... If I'm talking to a Christian audience, I'm going to talk to them like they're Christians and on my side. Mm-hmm. I'm just going <laughs> to... Weird, I'm going to make that assumption. But the idea here is... so. The Kalam stems all the way back to actually a Muslim uh, theologian, mm-hmm. and of course, uh, we as Christians we will uh, will colonize anything. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> this we, is mine now. This is this this argument. I like it. It's mine now. <laughs> uh, so the it's this whole idea that again, truth is truth no matter who says it. Okay. Now what happened? What it is? is the idea, and now it's been refined. It has actually been popularized by Dr. William Lane Craig. He has a book called. The Kalam Cosmological Argument. If you want to just deal with like basic response... Now, I'm not talking... It's not like an in-depth thing by some crazy metaphysicist, But if you just want to deal with basic objections to this argument, I recommend... It's a smaller book and less dense as far as uh, what to work with. But Core Facts by Dr. Braxton Hunter speaks to you like you're a normal human being on the objections to this argument. But I'm only going to talk about the argument today. We can talk about the entire argument and all its different responses later on in a different episode. But the basic argument is this, and this is what Genesis 1 is showing. Everything that begins to exist must have a cause for its existence. The universe has a beginning. Therefore, it must have a cause. Yeah. Now, you cannot say the cause within it was within itself. This is actually what bugs me. So I've talked to people before, and they're like, well, it doesn't mean that this couldn't have happened, or that this matter couldn't have gotten together, or this abiogenesis couldn't have happened. I'm like, stop it. Hold up. All those things have had to have had a because because they're material. Mm-hmm. They're within that four-dimensional space that we talked about before. If they're within that four-dimensional space, that four-dimensional space cannot have been caused by that four-dimensional space. Because that's like saying this. You, do, are you familiar with the movie Finding Nemo, Brian? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Now, if we were watching that movie and I was like, Brian, what caused, what created Finding Nemo? I'd say Walt Disney. You say Walt Disney rightfully so But if I was like no Brian That's preposterous (laughs) Clearly it was Dory Dory created Finding Nemo now Dory Made the movie actually a really good movie But um it did not If I said that to you you would Rightfully so laugh me out of the room Yeah because I'm saying the thing within The movie created the movie yes Right that's it doesn't make any sense it's nonsensical (laughs) It's completely absurd um, if I was playing a video game and I was like, Brian, who made Captain Price in Call of Duty? And you were like, well, Activision did. <laughs> and I'd be like, no, you you moron. It is You simpleton. You simpleton. <laughs> uh, Captain Price created Captain Price. Don't you know? It would be absurd. Again, it, or if it, it take- was a psyop, I understand now. <laughs> <laughs> it's like saying that Neo caused the matrix. You know, it's just it is absolutely nonsensical to believe mm-hmm. that something within itself created itself.
1: Yeah. We still the problem of, you know, the law of causality where anything has a beginning has a cause.
0: So what caused the thing that it exists inside the cause system it Doesn't make any sense Exactly Which is why Where So I was uh, going against a, a coworker of mine And of course Right when I brought this up He brought in What everyone says Well then who Created God Aha Trick question He didn't have a beginning <laughs>
1: Read it again
0: right, right when people Always bring that up It's always like Oh yes Because no theologian Has ever thought of that objection You're right You broke new ground I'm I was not- waiting for you To talk about that <laughs> It's like, oh, perfect. Um, So within the four-dimensional space by which we live, with depth and length and width and all that good jazz, um, so we agree that nothing within that can cause it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So therefore, something outside of it must have caused it, which is operating, let's say, on a fifth-dimensional plane. So you're telling me that something that operates outside of that four-dimensional space must operate within the same laws of the... Four dimensional space? Yeah. It's in it a different it's, space. It doesn't make any sense. It's outside of it. God is does not have a beginning nor the end. This, this is where I think Plato was that comes up with the idea of the unmoved mover. Mm-hmm. No matter what you do, you keep going far back. Well, what you. If, so other people with this universe will go into the multi universe theory, right? Well, there's multiple universes that broke off into other universes. Okay, but, follow back. <laughs> great. Yeah. Okay, now rewind that train and guess what that brings you to? Where. There was the first universe. Brings up the same question. Yeah. Um, so, no matter what, you have to go back to an unmoved mover or the uncaused first cause, if you will.
1: And guess what? That would be the, the nature of an uncaused cause or an unmoved mover would be God.
0: Yeah, the, uh, the very definition of a maximally great being, mm-hmm. which is God. It would have to be. It fits, or at least it is not unintelligent or ignorant. To Believe it, mm-hmm. see, that's the other thing that bothers me when you get with atheists like, well, you believe in something you can't believe, you can't see, you know, we did it, we weren't there for it, you just have to believe that and assert it on faith. Yeah, okay, but it doesn't mean I don't have good reason to believe it because mm-hmm. just like you would believe on good faith, yeah, there's that faith word that it wasn't God, I would believe in good faith that it is God based on you would have different evidence or beliefs or reasons or evidences, whatever you want to call it. To help you reach your conclusion, I have mine for mine. I believe mine's more airtight because, again, I believe everything that begins to exist must have a cause. And I've accepted the fact there must be an unmoved mover. And that unmoved mover must be maximally great being because in order to design, you must be intelligent. In order to design, you must be extremely powerful. Yeah. In order to design, it has to be personal. Right? It can't – no one has ever designed anything and didn't care about what they were designing. You, you know, that's something that you're as personable. Yeah. So therefore he's personable. All of this fits into the idea of God, a maximally great being who loves his creation. And this is why that idea also of enlightenment. So he brings order to the chaos. He loves his creation, which is why also it reflects that in the book of revelation, I saw a new heaven and a new earth and behold, all things were passed away. Then, uh, you know, every tear was right from my eyes. The idea of the new creation, God restoring this creation, like it was at the beginning, and the reflection of each other, and I think that's really important because God was always working. That's that was always a part of His divine plan here. So, um, so the Kalam here, I think, is an airtight argument. Or what other people say? Okay, great. Well, maybe the universe had never had a cause. You've heard that before. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's an eternal universe. Okay, yeah. it never had a, it. Never had a beginning. Well, here's What's your evidence. Here's the well. Not only where here's your evidence. It's impossible. It's impossible to say the universe itself did not have a beginning. One, we have evidence of it otherwise. Uh, all expansion of said universe points to the fact that there would be a central starting point.
1: Yeah. And the second law of thermodynamics. So you kind of got a problem there.
0: <laughs> yeah, entropy. Yep. Yes. So um before you talk about entropy, because I know you wanted to talk about that for a minute. Was yeah. that in this episode you want yeah, we'll to talk about? Okay. That. Um, so when you're dealing with this idea that God created, um, all things and that we're working our way back. And well, if you say and said that the universe is eternal, it's impossible because you could not have gotten to today. Mm -hmm. If you went back forever, then what was yesterday into today? Let me explain it to you this way. Some people don't understand how it's impossible for something to go back. You cannot reach today. If everything went back to infinity today, would be an impossibility if it went back infinitely, right? Like logically within time. Because every day would have to be infinity plus one. Right. It's just still infinity. Right. So it's the idea, let me try to explain this to you. I want you guys who are listening to listen, to think of the idea of a hotel. But this hotel is an infinite hotel with an infinite number of rooms. Okay, But each room is full. So each room has, uh, has somebody in it. And so what it is, let's say each room represents a day, and the and the people in the rooms represent events in the day, right? Because every day has events. So what you're saying, if it goes back eternally, is that we have an infinite number of rooms, or days, with an infinite number of filled, uh, filled, no vacancies, right? There is all filled, and those are events. Then what you're saying is if we got to today, yet yeah, that you are the person walking into this infinite hotel going, I want a room. And they go, well, all our rooms are full. And you go, but, but... I want a room, man. They go, okay, you know what? Never mind. We'll squeeze you in. We'll make a yeah. room. They and check they sh- the computer and they refresh and go, oh, actually, we have one more. Yeah. And then they shift you into a room and shift everyone over one room for infinity.
1: hmm This doesn't logically make
0: yeah, sense. Yeah. And I'll, if your brain is hurting me talking about this, it should because it, it is nonsensical. So you can't say it goes back for eternity. So it has to have a beginning. If it has to have a beginning, then what brought the time, space, and matter? You can't say it always was because that's going back to infinity. Mm-hmm. You can't say it was um, just random energy because, again, that is infinity. Yeah, you know, where'd that come from? Well, it had to be infinity. So there had to be a cause outside of it in a fifth-dimensional kind of space, something outside of time, space, and matter, which is also why it was. It says that God separated the end from the beginning because He's not within our same space of time.
1: Well, I think you mentioned this on the sermon you preached on it too. But this is a common analogy brought up is, if you if and this also gets into the you know intelligent design if you walked out of the forest and you discovered a ferrari you wouldn't go wow look how this just popped into existence <laughs> you would go well who made the ferrari that's and the how did it get here? and how did it get there and are there keys in it uh <laughs> and is there gas um but it's a lot we ha- it's logical for us to assume when we see something that something caused it to be there we don't have any instances in our life where we ever run into something that's uncaused. We just don't... Think about it right now. What have you ever seen that's uncaused? It's always caused. Your existence is caused by your parents. You're watching this video is caused by us filming it and YouTube making lots of servers and on the internet to house these videos and people making internet connections so that you can get to the videos and someone making your phone either Apple if it's inferior or Samsung. And... Um, <laughs> and that's how you're watching this right so that all these causes that allowed you to even watch this video you don't have any examples in your life of uncaused things
0: right so which means that you have to take make logical deductions and i think that's more than possible and it's obvious and it's e- easy to see so now I want to talk about the nature of man real quick a little bit here before we close up so and God blessed them. And God said to them, you know, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. So he wants them to multiply, <laughs> giggity, um, <laughs> and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and of every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and then every tree with a seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has, that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food and it was so, and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Now we're not going to get into the seventh day of rest right now. That's in chapter two that we're going to cover later. But I want you guys to notice a few things here. He gave mankind stewardship over the earth. And that's giving a straight-up ontological argument there as well. Like, there is a structure to the universe. You will rule over it. And what do we see mankind? Do we see anywhere where mankind is dominated by creation? Mm -mm. No, we dominate creation. Yeah, because we're made in the image of God. We are created. Now, one of the things that I get asked once in a while is, why would God create a world with so much evil? You know, there's evil and suffering still in it. Well, I think, you know, wouldn't it be better if he could just not have created at all? But I think we forget, if we're creating the image of God, we are creators by nature. We are creating content here for you because we're bored on a Thursday night, okay? We want to create. You guys want to create in various different ways. Now, God, if we're made in his images, that does not not mean he's a creator, Mm -hmm. that he's going to create. He has to. It's within his nature just as we are in his image. So God had to create. Now the question is, is why did he create what he created and how did he do it? And we're going to talk about that more in the future, of course. Yeah. But I think it's really important that you understand the fact that God is a a creative being. He created the universe. He is the only uncreated one because he operates outside of our existence, which is why we can see him enter time you know, as he did when he uh, in the incarnation with Jesus Christ, but we can also see how he works providentially throughout your life because he is outside of it, which we'll we'll talk about Molinism, I think, at some point too.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I think too. You see, when this is a little bit of a side rant, but you see the the command to fill the earth, and I truly think this is one of the sins that was really being committed at the Tower of Babel was they were sitting in one spot and making a gigantic. Um, building and trying to essentially attack God. Um, but what the, what their real sin was at Tower of Babel was was not following God to fill the earth. They were staying in one place. And we see this command here that, as through a blessing to fill the earth. And I think we talk about the age of Adam and Eve and, and some of the early humans that were living to long, long lives. Um, I think we really see, and I, I think we can safely assume that God created man to be capable of filling the earth. So this means all the way up there in canada where it's cold that means in the desert where it's hot that means even all the way down in south america where it starts getting cold again right there's all the different climates and we see we really see and this is something that's newer science this idea of epigenetics and go ahead and look it up a little bit it's really kind of fascinating i kind of i was at a uh, creation science seminar a few years ago where i got into this and it was kind of fascinating um and the analogy that they gave, which I thought was really cool that I wanted to just share, is imagine if you had to design a car and you wanted to be completely autonomous that could handle any condition or weather or traffic scenario so that it could travel from San Diego to New York, right, go completely cross country. That's different climates, that different roads, that's everything. And what would you need to do? Well, you need to make a really fancy car that is able to respond to different inputs no matter where it is. And I think we see that at the cellular level in humans, where we see this feedback system, and that's called epigenetics. It's essentially, um, in a very rudimentary way to talk about this, is is our cells are taking in inputs and they're responding in their genetic code and outputting something based on that input. The the bacteria in your stomach are responding to what you eat. We see different animals they can eat things that are poisonous to them and then the 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 acids and the bacteria in their stomach will actually change to this new input to be able to take care of whatever this is that's that's dangerous to this animal so that it is not lethal um and we've seen this ironically in beaks of finches actually where you introduce them to a climate that has different types of nuts that they have to eat, they're actually, we'll see within a single generation, their beak type changes. So it kind of throws out the whole Darwin's Finches thing altogether. It's like, oh, well, actually, that can change in one generation, not millions of generations. And then we've actually proven this. So one of the things that always comes up with evolutionists is, is you know, the eye is a very complex part of the body. And we see it in a lot of different animals, including humans. And they, they concluded, well, it just had to take millions of years of all these different uh, just genetic uh, abnormalities to actually create this thing that can see. Um, well, turns out, we can actually test this and actually, animal, they've proven in a fish, they took a fish, has eyes, put it in a dark cave with no light, and then they bred it. What was his offspring? An eyeless fish, had no eyes, because it had no need for eyes. The input from from the surroundings was you don't oh, the dogs are participating. The 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 doc, the darkness f- to the input to the cells was you don't need eyes. Next generation, there's no eyes. They take that, that no-eyed fish, they put it out in a a lit atmosphere in water, and they breed it again. What do you know? The next generation has eyes again. So we see, I think, in humans, and we see it in fish, and we see it in animals, everything God created. He was so maximally creative that he was—he actually created all these things to to exist in all different parts of the world, and that's why we see the entire world just teeming with life, just teeming with life. And I think that just—that's just evident of the creative design of of, of our Maker, and also shows that we—and we see this scientifically that our bodies are reacting to inputs and giving different outputs. So instead of the idea of well, it was it was, it was genetic abnormalities that created blonde hair. Or created eyes, or created whatever. It was actually we already had the genetic code for it,
0: and just had to be turned on and off. Right, which is actually shows the fact that there had to be information that was given into the DNA. And anything that's get, that's informed must have an informer. Mm-hmm. as kind of goes back into the law of causality. What caused the information? Uh, it also explains why there's so many different types of the similar species. Like it's the same kind of animal. They can all technically reproduce with each other, mm-hmm. but different species all across the world epigenetics where basically certain DNA things are being flicked on and off depending where they're at on based on their environment. It's just fascinating to see that this stuff had to have a cause and just kind of get into the teleological argument, the design argument, but there is so many things are so finely tuned. If you look at the way our universe is set up on our solar system, one iota of a shift in like gravity, spacing, uh, whatever, and everything collapses in on itself and dies. It was so perfectly well-created to sustain life. And you cannot tell me. So here's the other issue. So people, there's atheists out there like T-Jump and others that will basically be arguing with somebody and be like, well, that doesn't mean that this couldn't have happened. This other thing couldn't have happened. This couldn't have been the cause. Okay, cool. You're right. There's other possibilities. Mm -hmm. But we're acting like other possibilities have the same probability, Possibility and probability are very different things. Yeah, if you work in insurance, you know what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a great point. Uh, if you work in insurance, you know you do know what we're talking if about. If you work in insurance and you're an atheist, what are you doing? Because <laughs> <laughs> let's be honest, there's a reason why young single guys have way higher insurance rates than others. I apologize for you, Micah, uh, Micah Kilmer. We know what you've been through with insurance. (laughs) I apologize. Sorry. He used to live with us his whole thing. If there's any
1: atheist insurance agents that want to give him a really low rate because they don't understand probability and possibility, hit
0: us up. We'll get you in touch. (laughs) We would love to. But that's the idea, right? So just because it's possible doesn't mean it's equally probable. Uh, What is it? One person put it like for uh, accidental evolution. Now, I'm not talking about theistic evolution because I actually believe if you believe in evolution, that helps point to God even further. If you believe God created everything through evolutionary processes, that really has to point to God. Because multiple, hundreds and thousands of mutations. Now, mutations, by and large, are negative. Yeah, they usually kill things. Yeah, they kill things or maim them or cripple them. So we're talking about hundreds and thousands and millions of mutations, all adapting for a positive outcome to create tens of thousands of species I think that almost implies a supernatural creator further. It really does. Like, it's like, okay, then who kept the being alive and kept that design and those, and that genetic code constantly building in a positive direction for creation. Yeah. And then on top of that, um, when you're dealing, so not only that, but then also all the in between states, because people have been like, okay, how does a fish, then become a land mammal it goes from gills to lungs how do you do that and it not die you would all you would need a supernatural guide design in order to really make that even legitimately within an like a fraction possible yeah so if you believe in or probable if you actually. believe in evolution then you better believe in god because it just doesn't make sense without him it, seriously that's why. so that's what's funny when someone's like well I'm you know when I hear people be like well I think all those theistic evolutionists they just question scripture and question the existence of God I'm like you look you might be able to make an argument about questioning scripture but let me tell you something they actually point to God even further because there's no way God could have created it that way without there's no way that you, the universe could have started that way without God creating it
1: that yeah. way then
0: Does that make sense? Yeah, you're talking about millions of years of mutations and it all just happened to
1: work out for highly intelligent beings and uh, essentially successful across the spectrum yeah, <laughs> plants it's... and
0: animals and people. And then also another thing people point to will be like well how come like we're so we have such similar skeletal structures, hand structures to apes How come we have such similar things to this and that? Mm-hmm. Is there an obvious answer to this? this obvious answer would be the fact that instead of saying that we all evolved from each other would be the fact that we have a similar creator. Bone structure was something God created for his biological creatures that he created. It's actually pretty straightforward. It's a, it's, is that crazy? Like, okay, well, uh, Mr. Ford, when he created automobiles, kept using wheels. Does that suddenly mean that wheels are all wheels are because of Ford himself. Harry, yeah, that's got to be it. I almost said Harrison Ford. <laughs> Not the actor. Oh, that's so funny. But does that does that mean that all for all automobiles use wheels and therefore they all have the same origin? No, wheels have been around a long time and use multiple things from made from multiple different cultures. It doesn't and it also points similar just to sim, one simple thing. Wheels yeah. were created by man just like Bone structures were created by God. It's a very it's it's a silly but simple comparison. Does that make sense? Yeah, because if you're reading, if you're a college professor and
1: you're reading two papers and they look very similar, you're not gonna go, "Oh my gosh, they must have been evolved from one single-celled organism." You go, "No, that guy copied that other guy. That's where that came from," or the same guy wrote both papers. Um, So, (laughs) did you ever write anyone's papers? I didn't. Stacy helped me write a couple of mine because I used to be terrible at
0: grammar. Oh, I, I was so bad at grammar. Uh, I'm still pretty bad, but I'm not as bad as I used to be. Whenever anyway, we have
1: a typo in one of our memes, I'm like, "Oh man, Stacy, that... why did you let me do that?"
0: <laughs> Stacy should be proofreading your memes. Really should. <laughs> so, anyway, guys, um, those are some basic thoughts on Genesis chapter one. So, the idea of God creating light and logos and light and everything emanating from Himself first—that mm-hmm. was the first act of creation was that all things flow from him. And then, of course, we see the fact that all things that begin to exist must have a cause. And then we also see that mankind was created in the image of God that gives us value, and that also gives us morality a little bit. Because in an atheistic worldview, I've heard uh, atheists say, oh, so the, the, the um, atheism leads to nihilism fallacy. It's not a fallacy, it's a reality. If you remove God from the equation, and you really are just an accident of space, of somehow, some way, a self-causing universe exploded, and then self-causing abiogenesis began. All this is self-causing, which, by the way, each one is like a miniature miracle. And you're telling me it's crazy for me to believe a man rose from the dead who was the son of God. You have to say that's crazy, but you consider and believe in a self-causing universe and a self-causing life forms. Okay, dude, Mm -hmm. tell me more about how I believe in miracles and you don't, (laughs) but whatever. I at least admit that I believe in miracles. You're just claiming that you don't like that. that, That's actually bothers me with atheism a lot. Yeah. They say we believe in miracles and all this stuff and our space, sky daddy, spaghetti monster in the sky, and I'm like, y'all believe in a miracle, too, to some degree or other. I believe in a supernatural miracle. You believe in some sort of causal miracle in and of yeah, itself. You believe in a mathematical
1: impossibility. I guess good for you. Um, but I think the good thing to kind of remember here, just kind of wrap this all up, is is in the beginning, God. In the beginning, that's what the Scripture says. And we went through the cosmological argument, which says essentially the same thing. God must have—we see everything that exists, and we know it had a beginning— so a cause, what was the cause? Well, in the beginning, God.
0: Now, uh, Brian and I, I think we'd both say we subscribe to uh, a literal six days. Mm-hmm. We subscribe to intelligent design. We believe God created what he wanted when he wanted it. Uh, however, I'm not saying that if you disagree with me that you are the world's worst person and a heretic, I'm just saying you're wrong. <laughs> um, no, I have a lot of friends that disagree with me on various different things, and that's okay. Uh, and comment I... and we'll put the next the good comment to the next video. So yes. Comment. If you have a rebuttal against it, please uh, let me know what your thoughts are. Um, if you're like a, a day age theorist or a gap theorist and you don't like our conclusions, please give us a breakdown. I'd love to read it at the beginning of the next mm-hmm. episode. Uh, just to give you, give you guys a fair shake, even though you're wrong. No, <laughs> um, we
1: really enjoy it. Cause honestly, we don't think that we're hundred percent right on everything. We, we are totally holding out these beliefs with open hand, show us what you got, because I think we all want the truth, right? So if you have the truth and we're missing something, I want to hear it. And I think you should also accept that if if we have the truth and you don't, you should want to hear it, Right. right? And the only way that we're going to determine if we have the truth is proper study, open dialogue, where we risk offending each other, but not... Because we want to hear the only way we're going to hear different ideas is escaping that echo chamber and exposing ourselves to
0: them. So we understand them. Correct. And actually, that's a great point. It's the idea of learning from each other. Here's the thing. When you're arguing with somebody or debating somebody, you have one of two options. You lose and you learn something or you win and they learn something. Mm -hmm. Either way, it's a positive outcome. Yeah. If you really care about truth, it is. Yeah. So don't, don't put your ego in the way. Yes, I am a six-day literalist in this area. Uh, I do put a figurative meaning in here because I do believe there's a logos. I do believe there's this idea of enlightenment. and But that's because the also the very beginning there is Genesis 1 and 2 really flex the idea of order versus chaos in the Hebrew, mm-hmm. that God speaks order into chaos. And I think that is true throughout Scripture, that God is always bringing order to chaos. Yeah. And there is so many applications to that when you really dig into that, how God brings order to the chaos.
1: Well, I think is the fundamental thing when you talk about, I forget which chapters in Genesis were. it says God, um, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. I think that's just another example of oh, chaos into order.
0: With Joseph, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What mankind meant for evil, God meant for good. It's the idea of God brings order to the chaos. Mm-hmm. And we see that at the very beginning and ever since Genesis 1. We have seen God constantly be bringing order to the chaos of man and of earth. Yeah, and I think that's a beautiful picture. There is so much depth here, guys. I could I, I've actually preached um, a twelve. Part series about how God brings chaos to, I brings order to chaos. Thought you were gonna say twelve hours. Like, which one did I miss? (laughs) (laughs) No, but remember that twelve, that twelve part series I did. Um, Then we also did, you know, uh, when I talk about the column or creation or the fall, we have a sermon on the fall on the channel as well, guys. Genesis is deep. Mm-hmm. and we are picking at the surface like literally i'm over here just barely scratching the surface but we try to keep things digestible so i think we covered a lot of ground tonight in a very short period of time yeah
1: and next will be genesis 2 and we're going to really dive into that and that's going
0: to be fun yeah and we might have to do multi parts like genesis 2 1 and <laughs> genesis 2 2 like <laughs> we'll break this down we'll we'll figure it out but we're navigating this we're going to be talking about original sin calvinism determinism and all the other isms so guys stick around but otherwise thank you for tuning in my name is will i think my name is brian there it is <laughs> we're still getting used to being constantly 100 co-hosts with each other but brian's a little slow on the draw it's okay it's late at night but anyways thank you guys so much for tuning in i hope this was encouraging to you if you have anything you'd like to add about genesis chapter one please put it in the comments below um, and also guys, if you haven't already, please like and subscribe to the church split. We'd love to have you around and, uh, see you guys next time. Take care and God bless.